Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Charlotte. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Captain Jingwei of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Jingwei of the USS Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. And a mystery solved. This will be like old news by the time this comes out, but we just recorded episode 10 of season four of Lower Decks for mm-hmm. our smash hit new Star Trek podcast, Greatest Trek. Mm-hmm. And something happened while we were talking where you were you were making finger flexions on screen quotation fingers yeah and and it caused confetti to rain down on your side of the, uh-huh. the video chat we're using we just use the the built-in video chatting feature in slack not because it's good because <laughs> it is probably the worst video chat i think i've ever used yeah it it's stable that's that's really our only reason for using it right and I yeah. guess we already pay for Slack, so. We already pay for Slack. It's like one less thing to remember to open before you record. Yeah. But this is something that's happening at the system level. We we like looked it up in between records, and this is something that's built into to Macintosh computers now, apparently. This isn't a Slack thing? It's a, it's a Apple computers thing? Yeah, the article I found is on the applecomputers.com website. What? Yeah. So like whenever your webcam is doing anything, I guess it can just if you if you give a thumbs up or a thumbs down <laughs> or quotation fingers. So <laughs> your your computer is watching and interpreting that. Benjamin, what the doctor told me about your father's condition was quote unquote <laughs> extremely <laughs> dire. <laughs> Why is the confetti raining on me? <laughs> what the doctor said about your grandparents after the accident was uh, mostly negative. Thumbs down, weird balloon. Inflates. <laughs> it's raining now? <laughs> Why are there fireworks going off behind you? <laughs> And the devil's horns looked like this <laughs> laser effect behind you. <laughs> the family's all on the same page with, with splitting the cost of the funeral. Double thumbs up emoji, fireworks display in the background. <laughs> oh, hey, man. Apple Computer Company, do you feel like there may be some circumstances where that's not appropriate? Especially to spring on an aging relative. Like, olds aren't going to get that at all. I know, I know. My uh, <laughs> our friend Jeremy Birch, who uh, invented the emoji and owned emojipedia.org for a long time, I, I remember. It sounds like a joke, right? It sounds like a dunk. Yeah, no, but it's real. <laughs> yeah, I remember a social media post he did a long time ago when Apple changed the gun emoji from like a realistic looking revolver to a realistic looking water pistol. Uh huh. And he noted that. Like, if you're sending a text to somebody that's not on an Apple device, it's going to represent as the revolver still, because everybody else is still using, like, like the gun emoji is the weapon on everybody else's, and it's the toy on Apple, so... When was the last time you texted with someone not on an Apple device, though? I try not to, but... Uh, <laughs> But the point of his post was, like, sending the text, like, hey, want to meet up at the at the park? 
gun emoji <laughs> is going to mean two different things on two different devices, like water gun fight or I want to fucking kill you. And I feel like this is like the this is the thing that they're running into here. Look, I like Jeremy personally, and I appreciate his work. However, <laughs> there is no conversation in recorded text history between two adults where one of them proposes a water gun fight in the park. <laughs> that's just making shit up that's never happened and never will happen. Okay. So uh, so what did you just do at the beginning of this podcast coming up with all these scenarios where the diagnosis is quote unquote? <laughs> oh, People are diagnosed with, uh, with with terrible things all the time. Oh, my God. That's kind of what this episode is about, isn't it? It is. I think I had it on the mind. Yeah, we're pivoting right in. It's, uh, it's season seven, episode two, Imperfection. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. <laughs> Our cold open features a bottle opener class starship off the bow of Voyager, and... I really like the look of this ship. Everyone on Voyager, pretty sad to see the four Lilith Borgs go, except for Ichib. Yeah, Ichib's staying. Mazadi and uh, the two twins are going. You can still come with us. And you can still stay on Voyager. Hey, Ichib! <laughs> You're not going to leave me here, are you? <laughs> I will have... No one to talk to. And by talk to, I mean yell from a very great distance. It sure is lonely here in this corner of the cargo bay that's on the opposite side from where you are. And if you're gone, it'll be all the lonelier. Just me and the squeegee. I won't have a reason to live (laughs) or talk. And by talk, I mean, again, yell from a great distance. I am very sad. Two thumbs on the side of my face. (laughs) Weird rainstorm happening. (laughs) Mizadi is going to live with the Wyzanti? I was shocked by this. Givanti, Mivanti, a (laughs) breaky. That's nice. That's good. All the Lils hug Seven goodbye individually. And uh, Janeway, once they're gone, gives Seven a little extra affection. Not knowing at all how psyched she has to be about getting out of the babysitting business in this moment, right? This is great for Seven. Her her plate is three quarters as heavy with tasks that she doesn't want to do. How do you think, like... This isn't quitting a job. This isn't getting fired. But this is something like that for Seven. Yeah. All these kids leaving? What a relief. Either way. It's great. She she takes a walk down the corridor. She's like rare to, you know, hey, like, I mean, she's basically Adam Pranica getting home from a trip. She's like, all right, let's unpack the suitcase right now. (laughs) Like, I don't want any evidence that those kids were ever here to remind me of the fact that I used to have to do that. Seven tells Ichib that uh, the place where their alcoves are could be a great craft space or a workout room or maybe like a golf simulator. Hey, maybe 
I could come set my stuff up over there. You think there's room for like a regular bed? It's pretty lonely again over here. Seven starts crying at even the thought of this. Or is it just allergies? Who knows? She's a heap, and uh, that's how we cut to our title sequence. And when we come back, she's in six bay getting a diagnostic and swearing up and down that in this moment, she was in complete control of her emotions. Like the EMH is trying to heap sympathy on her. He's like, oh, yeah, like I cried at, a, at an opera one time. And Seven is like, this is nothing like that. There's story after story. It's like a, just a, a stupid part of modern life where like, The women in our lives, in our culture, they go to doctors. And I think this is a fact, right? Like women seem to get insufficient care from the medical community for whatever reason. Like their their pain is not believed many times. It's it really sucks. Yeah. But in this case, I feel like there's a version of that happening to seven. Because every fucking time Seven goes in to see the doctor, the doctor is excited about what's wrong with her. And that has to be so aggravating. Yeah. Oh, how interesting that this is happening to you. And he's like, fascinating. Tell me more. Have you experienced any other malfunctions lately? Headache, dizziness, diminished motor function? No. Really? Yeah. Like, that's a version of how crazy-making that has to feel. Ugh. It's exhausting for her. And yeah. like, no wonder she hasn't reported this to him. You know, he's like admonishing yeah, her for you? keeping. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, what about what you're doing would make anyone have any incentive to tell you anything, EMH? I, I recently found myself a new doctor. I haven't had a doctor since moving to LA. Finally found one, did the like first checkup and stuff. Oh, yeah. And now I'm looking forward to not really seeing this person again very much. over the next few years. And that is just like my neutral feeling about a good and competent doctor. Imagine Seven knowing the doctor's the only fucking game in town. You cannot get a referral to another doctor. You think Paris is going to be any better? Paris sucks. No way. (laughs) I... I always see, like, you know, like on Curb Your Enthusiasm, Larry always has, like, a personal relationship with his doctor. I've never had a doctor that remembered me, you know? Oh, man, that's fucking sad. (laughs) I'm not especially convinced that my doctor, my old doctor remembered me, but I love that he acted like he did. You know, like, there's always that moment before your appointment, you show up on time, the doctor finally gets to the exam room 25 minutes later. You know what they're doing? For those 25 minutes, looking up what your fucking name is and reading your file and coming in yeah. with like one piece of biographical information. That's probably just a note that they put in the file, right? Yeah. That's why they wouldn't let Elaine get it in that episode of Seinfeld. They don't want us to know the, the riz that they have because there's no fucking way they can remember all their patients. I noticed that someone wrote in my chart that I was difficult in January of 92. They're like tax documents. You don't want anyone to see them. Hey, I had an idea about the the doctor. Mm-hmm. A name for the doctor that I feel like it's been right under our nose the entire time, but, but has never been tossed out as an option. I'm excited to hear it. Mark. Oh, hi, Mark. As in Mark 1? Yeah. I love this. <laughs> I mean, when was the first moment we learned that he was a Mark 1? 
It has to have been that episode where he goes and meets Andy Dick, but the other thing I was thinking of was, for our purposes on The Greatest Generation, our first encounter with Dr. Zimmerman was in Deep Space Nine, and he was working on the Mark II yeah. of the emergency medical hologram. So, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I guess I guess we uh, we reviewed First Contact, and, and the Mark I is in that. But I don't think that he's really on screen long enough for anyone to say that he's a Mark anything. I really love this moment in the show. We <laughs> named him. Yeah. He couldn't <laughs> name himself, so we did it. 20 years later, we came up with a name. <laughs> so that I wanted to call him the doctor. Now I will have to call him Mark. So Dr. Mark <laughs> runs a couple of tests. And I love re- it. The results are back. It's a yeah. malfunction what's going on. I love that Seven stuck up for herself. She didn't take, you were just crying for an answer. She had, she puts him on blast and he has to correct himself. I think he should be a little bit more apologetic about this. Like, God, I'm so sorry that I was doing that to you. Also, the revelation that all of her doctor's visits, all of the health records of Seven of Nine have been shared with the captain. She wants that to stop here and now. Yeah. I think that's fair, right? Going to institute a new drone HIPAA policy going forward. Do not report this to the captain, please. (laughs) Do you think zoologists who take privacy with their patients very seriously would call it a hippopotam? Hippop. Hip. Hip hop. (laughs) Hip hop anonymous. Hippopotamus policy. I just ran right into the pommel horse there. And then I got up and ran into it again. Hippopotamus policy? Do you think that a uh, board game designer that takes the secrecy of uh, their games very seriously would call it a hungry, hungry hippopotamus policy? I love that. Yes. This is a good chance, at least, right? Uh, David Caspi knows how to get a hold of us. <laughs> Our course is locked in. What? Listen to me very carefully, because I'm only going to say this once. Seven walks into the ass lab where Echeb is quickly changing tabs on his computer. And uh, she doesn't ask a lot of questions. Apparently, this is affecting her uh, visual acuity whatever is happening. He's, uh, you know, tries tries to play it off like he's just studying atrometrics like he's supposed to be. But it comes up what he has in mind. He would like to uh, enhance his uh, contribution to the ship. He'd like maybe to not be stuck in the ass lamb all the time, get to do some stuff on the bridge. He kind of wants to Wesley Crusher it. I don't know, man. I don't like how deceptive he's being up top. You're not going to be able to have your spicy website open if you're working on the bridge. That's a big open workspace with a lot of people, a lot of eyeballs in it, you know? You know what? A couple of bridge stations, it's probably possible at, at Tuvok Station and Harry Kim Station. This is something that um, whenever I was working in a cubicle-based environment, I always really wanted my computer not to face the entrance to the cubicle. <laughs> Yeah. Not, not because I was fucking off all the time or because I was looking at porn at work, because I wasn't. We should be able to uh, look at a little porn at work. I just 
wanted some fucking shred of privacy in a cubicle farm. Yeah, it's a very unnerving environment to work in in a cubicle because yeah. you just like you fire up Facebook for 35 seconds and somebody is guaranteed to walk in and drop a report off on your desk and be like, mm. <laughs> every fucking time. Not in the Excel spreadsheet, are we? It seems like Ichib's interests are pure. Like he just wants to do more. Maybe he's a little bored and unchallenged. But uh, what's weird about this moment is how unenthusiastic Seven is. I would say her encouragement is kind of mid. Mm. Your plan is ambitious. Then you think it's a good idea. <laughs> Do you think Seven's like, God, it was so great getting rid of the rest of the Lilith Borgs. Now I'm fucking stuck with Egypt. Like, God damn it. Is it always going to be like this? And me, I'm also still here over on the other side of the ass lab. Did you know that there's sewage to squeegee in here? Why did you guys design it this way? If I could just give a note about ship design, <laughs> more slopes <laughs> would really help me out. Not encouraging. Almost as discouraging as Seven is about Ichib's career aspirations are those burbles yeah. under the skin of her hand. And she gets out of there pretty fast. Yeah. She should maybe like see a dermatologist about that. I don't think Dr. Mark is going to help with a subcutaneous cyst like that. Mm. Yeah, that's a moving target if you're trying to lance that thing. <laughs> Dropping the pin and it's just missing. Yeah. <laughs> it's bobbing and weaving. That's painful. Back in the, in the cargo bay alcove, Seven wants to regenerate. That's how she treats her burbly hand situation. But the interface is incompatible. She's getting up in there. She's trying to jack in. Can't do it. She's asking the computer what... What for? What mean? Yeah. And it's not the interface's fault. It's the fault of her cortical node. The cortical node is uh, is faulty. So we cut to Neelix's restaurant where Seven's been up all night drinking milkshakes. And Neelix walks in. It's 5 a.m. And he's like, oh, you, you've been drinking milkshakes all night? Let me, let me fix you something. She's like, no, I'm quite full. I've had 40,000 calories in milkshakes. Like, I'm going to be fine. I really love the straight line that this scene draws between like regeneration is for energy and seven of nine pounding weeder power gain protein shake like <laughs> in the night in order to like get that energy is great. It's a good hack. What I don't like is that it reads as milk. Yeah. Like because initially I was like, God, she's really drinking a lot of warm milk to try to go to bed. Like that's disgusting yeah i wish it was a different color the uh special effect when she pitches over and falls on the floor and like her skin opens up and there's machine under it is really great and i thought the camera work in the scene was also really great the way the camera kind of like sinks to the floor as neelix runs around the bar to come to her side as she starts seizing it's a really dynamic shot and it's really intense and like and 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 hits all the harder for that camera work are you clear on how many Borg's parts remain in Seven? Because when these things open up on her skin, it, it seems like there's a lot. Yeah. Like, like her whole cheek is made out of Borg's. Yeah. She's like a T-1000 under all that skin. Living tissue over metal endoskeleton. So in Six Bay, 
Seven is is covered with these Halloween costume wounds with the spirit gum. Yeah. And it is unfortunately clear in this scene how much spirit gum is being used. Yeah. <laughs> the makeup department definitely missed on a couple of these. It's challenging. Like the neck has got to be the toughest part for this, right? Yeah, because it just moves so much. Her costume like is very form fitting, but it's not it's not showing much skin ever. So there's just not much of her skin to apply this effect to, I guess. Ben, the problem with gash <laughs> is that little gash, no good. Mm. Like it doesn't look real. What you need is like big horror movie style across the neck gash mm. to like really read properly. I think that's the problem here. That it's so small, like I think that just kind of gives it away. She comes to and Dr. Mark and the captain explain that her cortical node is failing and she's going to die. And she's like, no, I'm not going to die. My my node will repair itself. Jane, Janeway goes up to seven and holds two thumbs down in front of her. <laughs> and it starts raining in six bay. And Dr. Mark is like, no, you're getting all my stuff wet. Come on. Don't do that. I think part of what really helps this scene, and we've seen this a bunch in Star Trek over the years, is that fallen samurai hair. Yeah. I love it as code for sick or dying person. It's great. They can't replicate their way out of this problem because a cortical node is too complicated to replicate. And Janeway is not taking no for an answer. There's coffee in that new cortical node. She goes up to the bridge and... Starts talking to Harry Kim about a field of Borg's debris that they passed a few days ago. And Chakotay's like, hi, um, I know I don't have a lot to do on this show, but going and looking for the Borg seems like a bad idea, right? Like, we don't do that every day. And she's like, have you watched the last several episodes? We do that literally every day. We just did that. <laughs> so she's she's pitching this as a solo Delta Flyer mission. She's going to go get a cortical node, bring it back here, save Seven's life. Nobody but her is, is being put at risk. The pace of the dialogue here in bulking up the backstory is really brisk because the moment the flyers brought up is like, uh, yeah. And then the, the show interrupts to say, we rebuilt the Delta Flyer and it's fine. Get a life. And Paris's main beef is like, I don't want to rebuild that thing again. I just did it in between the last episode and this one. Yeah. I'm sick and tired of it. So Paris and Tuvok kind of invite themselves along on this mission, more out of concern for the Delta Flyer than for the Captain or Seven, I think. It really seems that way. Yeah. <laughs> in the corridor, there is a very uncomfortable moment between Ichib and Janeway, right? Because each of like, hey, uh, have you talked to Seven? Ooh, each of, I would not bring this up right now. I mean, I, I'm not positive I overheard what I overheard because I was quite far away from the people talking, but I don't think that that's uh, been brought up to Janeway just yet due to reasons. <laughs> I love the idea, like, 
Any screenwriting manual would discourage a writer from the idea of an omniscient deus ex Egypt's brother character. <laughs> not not the writers of this show. <laughs> now, awkward moment though. Yeah. I love moments like these though, where one character thinks that the other person is thinking of something else, but they're actually not. They're talking about another thing. Yeah, kind of surprising that Egypt would overestimate how much everyone's thinking about him. <laughs> <laughs> but he does. Uh, it's definitely reminded me of like me as a kid. You know, you ask one parent for something, then it's like, oh, I got to talk to your other parent about that. And then like you follow up the next day and you're like, so how did it go? And it's like, uh, we haven't talked about it yet. We don't care. <laughs> Yikes. He's still super thirsty for this Starfleet Academy application situation. And it's a, we'll talk about it when I get back from the captain. And each ship's like, how about not talk about it when you get back? How about talk about it during when I'm on the yeah. mission? Because I know all about Borg's technology. Being an XB. He's uh, unlike Tuvok and Paris, not going to succeed in talking his way into this mission. So he goes and sees Seven. And she's pretty pissed to be there in this vulnerable state and have him come in and see her like this. I really thought the performance of Jerry Ryan this episode was great. And I think it might be because I know what this feels like. I feel I've felt this way before. Like, my wife famously like does not want to be doted on when she's sick. She's like, leave me alone so I can get better. I don't want you to like help me or whatever. I yeah. think I am I think I'm largely the same way. Like, I won't say that I'm angry, but Seven is angry about this. Are, do you feel this kind of way? Yeah, I think that uh it's actually a thing that my wife and I are a little bit mismatched on because she really wants the like make make the soup, get the tea kind of treatment. And that's something I've had to learn over the years. And in contrast, she's had to sort of learn that I just want to like watch a movie on my iPad and not talk about what I might be needing every 45 seconds, you know? It's weird that your instinct, I mean, for a long time before she told you, was to just make her chowder. That's not a good yeah. sick soup, right? No, and and like you know, chowder like like a, like a cheesy bread, you know, like just just everything like thick and heavy, you know. Vegetable and, lasagna. I mean, there's vegetables in there. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's good. <laughs> I think we're having lasagna for dinner tonight. I'm excited about it. Everyone wants that when you're sick. Yeah. Anyway, Seven doesn't want lasagna. She doesn't want help. She doesn't want doting. No. She just wants to be alone. Dr. Mark tries to explain this to Ichab, and he doesn't get it. I think he's more like my wife. He's like, when you're sick, you want somebody to like take a lot of care of you. So I'm trying to do that. This is a moment in the episode where Ichab must be taught that people are different with different desires and motivations and so forth. And it made me wonder, how much teaching about people do you think Ichab requires for having grown up in a maturation chamber. Like, 
You could argue he needs more teaching than Seven does about what it means to be human. Because, I mean, are you clear on how early Seven was assimilated versus Ichib, relatively? Hmm. Oh, yeah, I guess maybe similar ages? I'm not sure. Yeah, if that's the case, this kind of checks out, right? Like, the doctor is really taking a moment to be like, hey, people are different. This is what she wants. You got to respect it. And he's like, XBZO, why should it be? Me and Seven get along so awfully. The Delta Flyer has entered the debris field. I, I didn't know how much I loved a debris field until this moment. Yeah. It's cool as hell. It's great. These pieces of Borg ship floating around. Borg debris also just makes great debris, I think. Because it's already like kind of a just a cube of debris as a ship. Bodies have got to be so hard to render, though, at this moment in time. Because how, how much harder would that have hit yeah. if there are bodies out there or pieces? Yeah, like <laughs> if like a leg hit the windscreen of the Delta Flyer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to believe that there's half bobs out there. We just can't show them. Sure. I love the way every time you go to a Borg ship, the camera starts in position on like one of the flashy set design things and then pulls out and pans down and it's federations with flashlights walking through, pushing, you know, cables aside as they dangle from the ceiling. I love that there is like a consistent visual language in like establishing where you're at. But mm-hmm. do you think there's been an evolution in how these interiors have been shot? Because oh, yeah. I really, really love how totally dark the characters' faces are at certain times on this ship. And I and I don't think Star Trek would have done that seasons ago or or series ago. No, if you go back and look at the episode where the Borgs are are first revealed, that Q episode of TNG, like when they go over to the cube, it is like shocking how brightly lit it is in that episode. It's like the produce department of a grocery store. (laughs) Yeah. This is like full haunted house, like super, super dark. Most of the screen is, is falling away to total black. It's effective. They find a Borg's body and they like lift girders off of, him because everybody that dies on a destroyed starship always has girders on them. It's true. And they do this like grisly brain surgery thing where they like take the cortical node out of his forehead. Oh man. They're like robbing a grave here. This is so fucking tame compared to Star Trek Picard. Yeah, that's true. Janeway's field surgery is downright gentle compared to what we see later. It's true. To each of himself. Just then, Paris calls in to tell them that they've got company. And when company arrives, who the hell are these guys? They sort of have like Kazon styling to them. But they aren't actually, are they? Yeah, they have each have loaf. That was what I thought was so weird. Yeah. They claim to, uh, you know, have the salvage rights to this field of debris. This turns into a big Star Trek fight. They get beamed out in the nick of time. It's the classic phaser beam through the cloud of disappearing transporter particles. These guys did not seem like they wanted to negotiate. No. (laughs) The the rights to these salvaged pieces. Yeah, like Janeway didn't even get far enough to like, 
offer to buy the note off them. Like, I feel like that that should have been in the cards, right? Like, hey, what if we just pay for this note? We didn't know. I think one of the most badass things that's ever happened to the Tuvok character is the hero shot of him double tapping his phaser rifle at these guys. Yeah. It is kick ass. Really good. It, it, it makes him look super hard in the extra capable security officer way that he so rarely gets to demonstrate. Yeah, it's big fun. So Paris is able to beam them back over to the flyer, and there's a little bit of a dogfight throughout the Borg's parts in space. This is really great. And uh, they got to do one of those like swoop arounds to get behind the ship that's attacking them. And after licking a couple shots their way, they're able to uh, get out of there to safety. I wanted so much more about these folks, though. Never see him again. Never yeah. hear from him again. No. The <laughs> they are out of the fight once the Delta Flyer has its way with them. And uh, we cut back to Voyager where Dr. Mark finds Seven of Nine rifling through his files. And she's just like looking for busy work, basically. Like yeah. she, she does not want to be sick. She wants to, she wants to be up and at him and doing stuff. And he wants her to rest. Not even Neelix's flowers are enough to cheer her up. It's a fun bit of uh, reverse psychology, though, when Neelix brings in the Scott. Is she so susceptible to reverse psychology, though? Like, I feel like she should have seen through this, you know? Doctor, do you think she's up to it? As long as you go easy on her. But in the same way I asked that question about Ichib, like, maybe she's just too immature to, to detect it. Yeah, maybe so. They start talking about how there's no way she could win at Cottescott given her diminished state right now. And uh, so just just take your Cottescott and go, Neelix. And this is enough to goad her into dropping the file rearrangement and, and going and, and working with him, which has got to be like a complete disaster for the filing system, right? Like stopping mid-refiling like this. Ugh, the worst. Can't imagine. Yeah. This is why my files have gone unfiled. You only start a new filing system if you can complete the system. <laughs> Otherwise, it's anarchy. Yeah. My filing system consists of getting a document that I think I probably should save and cramming it into a chest of drawers and hoping I can find it at such time as I actually need to. There you go. I've got to get that platinum. Put your platinum where your mouth is. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name and not a giant social media company's name with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by seven customer support. 
Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. So Janeway calls, Node! We got a node! Node here! (laughs) So this game will have to wait. Surgery's on the table. Yeah. Seven's on the table. Getting prepped for it. Yeah. Paris assists the doc and Janeway assists Paris. I like that the old node is all blinky and and like it looks like it's glitching out, you know. This episode made me feel crazy because the makeup effects are tough. I'm just going to say that they're a challenge. But the effect of yanking something out of her forehead looks so good i know it doesn't look like that fake freeze frame face that like you can tell is unnaturally frozen yeah it looks really good the whole way it looks great i don't know how they did it it's like a combination of like a digital composite there's like some 
CG elements to the whole because the little like doors that open up are definitely composited in, but then there's like a physical tube and like something that is actually being inserted. But like you can see like her eyeballs moving under her eyelids while they're doing it and stuff. It's great. It's so good. So during this procedure, what they've got to do is have the computer run the life support functions for seven during, but there's kind of a finite amount of time that they have to, to do this swap. And as time runs out, the new node gets put in, but this node isn't going to work, Ben, because Seven starts flopping around on the bed and her body's yeah. rejecting this node too, and they're shocking the shit out of her with the paddles. RSVP Seven. It's one of those staggering episodes that tries to make the case that node doesn't mean node. <laughs> In this case, node means yes, it's a simulation. <laughs> Yeah, uh, they were just practicing, and this was their 12th practice run. The doctor makes the case that this salvaged node has been in a dead Borgs and is therefore kind of past due. It, it, it's not going to work. What they need is the node from a living Borgs. And Janeway's like, cool, well, we'll go get one of those then. And she like marches out of the holodeck. As I've demonstrated many times before, as I've watched cube after cube get destroyed... And a point that the queen was trying to make. Yeah. My value for Borg life is a little skewed. (laughs) I've killed tens of thousands of them. What's one more? Are you suggesting ending one life to save another? I'm not giving up on her. Neither am I. Where are you on this? Personally. I was all right with it. Let's go find one. I think after the events of the last episode... It is a different ethical calculus, and I think that that would have oh. been a nice conversation for them to have. I wonder if they could have gotten a hold of K-Rock and been like, hey, K-Rock, Rock! do you have any, like, I mean, I don't know how to put this delicately, but, like, about to die Borgs over there? <laughs> like, maybe maybe they're really near the end, and maybe we could kind of hasten that along yeah, in a way that or- helps. Or, like, maybe we could just kill you in battle. Like, you know, it'd be a scrimmage, but we would make sure that you died and and went to Borg Stovokor, and then we could use your node, you know? Yeah. Like, a freshly killed Borg has got to be just as good. Is it Stovoborg? Stovoborg would be better. That's a good punch-up. All right. I'd say that this is a Kirk moment for Janeway. She is in the teeth of a no-win scenario. Dr. Mark is being a little bit more sanguine about the fact that that's what this is. And Janeway is having a really hard time accepting it and, in fact, rejects it. The doctor's... Dr. Mark. (laughs) Dr. (laughs) Mark's attitude here is really strange to me because he makes the case here that they should expect death as a very possible, if not probable, outcome. Yeah. What kind of help is that attitude, Doc? (laughs) I didn't like this at all. Like, yeah, of course. Of course death is on the table. That's what we're trying to fix. That's what we're trying to solve for here. Why do you keep bringing it up? Yeah. We all know. (laughs) Can't you reprogram him or something? So they, uh, they go tell Seven, you know, basically the results of this conversation. After she is uh, done, you know, cleaning the floor with Neelix in the Codiscot game. And this hits like a ton of bricks. But she 
would really like to return to her duties and they implore her to stay in six bay so that the doctor can keep an eye on her as they, you know, look for other long shot solutions to the problem. The tone between I'm just playing Cotiscott with Neelix and <laughs> the moment the doctor and Janeway walk in looking like they just watched a cement mixer crash into a preschool. <laughs> tonally, it flips in that moment so utterly. Oh, uh, well, I should really see how things are going in the mess hall. I just want to say Kate Mulgrew is acting her ass off in this episode also. And so many scenes, like, she doesn't have dialogue. She's just got to do face acting. And she's great at that. She rules. Ichib walks down to Six Bay, having been asked to get stuff for Seven from her cargo bay, I guess. And uh, he finds Six Bay empty. Dr. Mark isn't even there. So he has to boot him back up and... Dr. Mark got turned off mid-argument with Seven. When they look over at the console and see Seven's comm badge there, everyone knows what that means. Seven has quit Starfleet. (laughs) (laughs) It's terrible news. Yeah, she's off murdering a Klingon in cold blood. But it's fine because she's not wearing the badge. You can't be prosecuted for that. I mean, it saves them a torpedo casing to shoot because i guess if she's a civilian they're not going to do that right no no way i'm gonna burn a torpedo casing on her i'm not gonna burn anybody else named mark on her i mean that'd be quite a fine for that alien species that uh wakes people up from the dead oh yeah (laughs) the the, are you gonna eat the rest of that aliens (laughs) guess my taste buds are still cabali blt finds seven in the warp core she's just there occupying herself doing busy work, I guess. And, you know, speaking of world-class performances in this episode, I thought that Roxanne Dawson did a really nice job talking to Seven about, you know, what comes after life in her tradition and in, you know, in Borg's tradition. Jerry Ryan gets an ECU in this moment that is really beautiful. And she fills it up with a performance where she's talking about having been liberated from the collective four years ago and all of the memories that she had up until that moment will live on forever in the collective. But the journey that she's been on of becoming an individual and being on Voyager will vanish from reality when she dies. And boy, it is a real show-stopping moment for this episode and I think for this series. It's it's a really intense piece of film i'm with you on on these great ecus for these actors specifically to do their thing i think there's another advantage to it in that it frames out the wound makeup on jerry ryan i think that's a good choice yeah if you're getting that close you got to be careful with what you show and what you don't yeah interesting to consider like how far seven and blt have come you know This is not a conversation they would have had early on at all for all of their differences. Yeah. You ever think about what's going to live on after us, after we die, and that is very likely going to be this show and maybe nothing else? (laughs) How does that make you feel? Mm, We should do something else. (laughs) Kind of spending a lot of time on this, huh? Oh, crap. (laughs) 
<laughs> I also love the like when the scene shifts because the doctor walks in. They're up on that second level of engineering, and the camera like pans down to him walking in, and it's almost like a Frakes God shot. This feels like a very new camera position for this set. It does. This was directed by David Livingston, and I think he really outdid himself directing the camera in particular yeah. in this episode. I mean, I th- I think David Livingston is one of the great Star Trek directors, and uh, we all have admired that work throughout all of the series, but this one really stood out to me in the way the the camera moved and and, and where it was in the different scenes. Yeah, his direction really distinguishes itself from the others in a great way. So Seven gets dispensation to keep doing work and not hanging out in Six Bay, but she's got to wear a clip show device going forward. So he tosses that up to her and leaves her alone. How many times do you think they shot this? <laughs> I love moments like this in a show, like anything anything involving sliding or throwing or catching or whatever, like how many takes? I was thinking about it because like he is a photonic being, so he can probably nail the toss every time yeah. in the world of the show and probably Seven's like visual acuity and motor enhancements make it so that she catches the toss every time in the world of the show. But she's also sick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would have been great if she dropped it and it had been like a like a coughing a little blood into a hanky moment. Like, I can't believe that just happened. Oh my God. How come we don't call back Lal more often? Like, <laughs> the, the clip show device just hits seven in the face. Reflexes still need to develop. <laughs> And it sticks, because that's where it's supposed to go. Bullseye! <laughs> I know you don't want to do it. Do it. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. Later in the cargo bay, Seven is giving Egypt the news about the entrance exam. He can take it. And here's a list of crew people you can study with for that. Yeah. What Seven's doing here is like lining up succession for herself. Like, look, I'm yeah. not going to be here to tutor you. Here's some folks who can, and Ichib does not like this at all because he thinks that she's given up. He especially doesn't like that she doesn't even have a plan for his study of astrometrics. He would like to study that with her. She's like, you already know way more than these Starfleet bozos about that anyways. You know how long it took me to learn that you could have tabs? On the ass lab screen. You're a natural kid. (laughs) So he winds up uh, taking the resolve from this conversation to the ass lab solo where he put some study in on the brain scans that the doctor did of seven. And he walks into six bay and pitches Dr. Mark on why the failure with the other cortical node and what the solution is going to be. I love the repetition of this moment, like each of arriving in six bay with the confidence of someone who, who thinks that he solved a huge problem, but all he's doing is telling the doctor what he already knows. Yeah. That's great. What you require is a live drone. I've already been through that with Captain Janeway. My cortical node is operational. <laughs> I've got a node. Can you take it? Take my node, please. <laughs> He's an old Catskills comic. 
Um, <laughs> he says that this has an 86.9% chance of working. Adam, you know what that is? That's almost 87. That would elicit a big bet for me. <laughs> I like those odds. The duck doesn't seem as excited as Egypt is no. to even consider this idea. He is basically horrified by it, but by the end of the scene is like accepting all of the iPads that Ichab is handing him in a <laughs> in a way that sort of portends that he might be willing to entertain it. I love how unnecessary all of the iPads are in proving this point. Like to you and me, like past people, a lot of iPads looks like a lot of information. Yeah. But in Star Trek, like that's an unnecessary amount of iPads. <laughs> if you can't say it on one iPad, it it shouldn't be said at all. <laughs> that's communications theory right there. Mm, yeah. I think uh, I think Steve Jobs might have coined that. Yeah. The captain finds seven in the ass lab. Uh, they're looking at images of Earth together, looking at the Grand Canyon, looking at uh, at farm country. This is another scene where I just love Kate Mulgrew's performance, right? Because there's a sequence to her physicality. that There's almost three parts of it. Like when she enters the room, she's got this curiosity, and then she's got this feeling about what Seven's doing, and then she's got the moment where she becomes affected by Seven's feelings about being a disappointment to her. Because Seven is talking about, I'm going to die and I want to prepare you to accept my death the way you've accepted the death of other members of the crew who didn't make it this far because the failure has been mine, not yours. Like you tried really hard to make me more human and and to be, make me an integral part of this crew. And to the extent that I failed, it's because I didn't try hard enough. I wasn't good enough. And that hits Janeway like a ton of bricks. And you're right, Mulgrew's performance in this moment is staggeringly good. What took me out of the scene was the conclusion of it, where Seven was so certain that she was going to go to Stovacor when she died. Like, that's yeah. weird. Like, I guess that conversation with BLT was really affecting. Jane was like, I'm not sure you understood that all correctly. <laughs> and Seven is like, no, like I was saying, my failure, not yours. I, I accept that I have limitations here and I want you to start accepting that too. And as a matter of preparation for me going to Stovocor. And Jane was like, no, no, no. I, it's that, that's a Klingon thing. <laughs> I'm not sure they let your kind in there. And Seven's like, whoa, whoa, what? My kind? What does that mean? Janeway's like, I just don't think it's going to happen for you, Seven. And Seven just puts one finger over Janeway's lips and says, shh, shh, I'm going to Stovocor. I'm so grateful that the doctor interrupts this argument. He calls them into the conference room. The doc has presented Ichab's data to Janeway and Seven in this scene. And Seven does not want to hear it because any risk to Ichab, no matter what, what was the percentage of success, 86%, even with a 14% chance of, of harm to Ichab, it's not worth it. No, 
She would never. So the duck and Seven leave Egypt to angrily accuse Janeway of sitting on her hands and letting Seven die. So they're in conflict now. Yeah. I mean, Egypt's basically just begging to get kicked off the ship at this point. Yeah. What's that going to mean for me? I won't know anyone then. I mean, I know he's stowed away, but who's going to squeegee all this sewage? The job hits different when it's the sewage of people you know. (laughs) I don't want to live squeegeeing stranger sewage. You ever thought about that? The turd of an unknown? It's terrible. Way worse. Kind of like how smelling your own fart isn't as bad as someone else's? Be you! (laughs) Some of these ensigns that don't even get name-checked on the show? That shit stinks! You want to know the worst moment of my entire life? Sweeping the sewage an hour after Seven drank four glasses of Weeder Super Protein Power Shake. (laughs) Either that or... Taco Tuesday with Neelix cooking. It's a real, it's a real minefield for me. Seven is doing bits on imminent death mm-hmm. with Dr. Mark. He doesn't get it. <laughs> I was attempting to lighten the mood. Ah, yes. <laughs> well done. He and Janeway get called to the cargo bay where Ichib has kind of forced the issue. Um, He has disengaged his node and made himself very sweaty in the process. And he is on his charging mat struggling and basically explains, like, you take my node or I'm dead. This node is going to either be the thing that saves Seven or it's going to be no good to anyone. There's no third thing. So, you know, use it or waste it. Up to you. It's like the node is on a trolley track. And on one of the tracks is Ichib and his brother. And Uh on the other track is Seven. Yeah. It's the cortical node trolley problem. It is. Seven is pissed when they bring him down to Six Bay. And I I love the conflict between them because they're like both hunched over and clearly like in a lot of distress and pain. Yeah. But they're also like arguing and mad at each other for being so like recalcitrant about the situation. It's a great scene. Yeah. Seven accuses each of acting like a child. And Janeway is like, you know what? I think he's acting like a man. Adam, it's ex-Borg bar mitzvah. (laughs) Each have decided to perform a little operation on himself. Captain, he's just a child. I don't think he is. Check your scans. You'll see I'm already adapting. I don't like how uh, Janeway's eyes go down and then up on each of from across six bay here. Because when we cut over to Chakotay and down into his hands, he snaps a pencil. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's really loud and like kind of interrupts each of while he's doing his Torah portion. But uh, uh, they do the surgery. Seven wakes up six days later. She's doing... Much better. Uh, she slept it off and is in very good health. She goes and pays Echeb a visit. 
on a bio bed in Six Bay. Dr. Mark explains that his recovery has been a little bit trickier and he's like, he's still pretty fucked up. He's like kind of dazed and, and bleary when they wake him up and he talks to Seven. But uh, yeah, he did it. Echeb did it. Echeb, 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 Echeb. Yeah, just big fans of Echeb on this show. <laughs> the both of us. When he's back up and running, and gets he gets to start studying for his Starfleet tests. Yeah, and guess who's going to help him? Seven. Yeah. Seven, so happy to be helping him study. Yeah. So happy that she starts crying. This is not a glitch. I have praised Jerry Ryan ever since she appeared on the show. I think she's a great actor. I think this might be her finest moment. It's such a specific tear dangle. Like, I really love just hanging tear and just like welling them up and not dropping the tears, just keeping them in the pools. She's just carrying the tears around, using them for ballast as she does the rest of the scene. It's amazing. But I love this scene specifically because Jerry drops them at two different points. And, oh, it's crushing to watch this. It's so good. She's not only hanging tear, she's dropping tear. She's uh, one of the best in the business at that. Really great. Yeah, world class. Yeah. Did you like this episode, Adam? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying. I don't like friends. And I don't like you. Really like the episode. I was deceived by this episode, though, because I don't know if you watch these episodes on Paramount Plus the way I do, but the the title screen, like in the table of contents for the season, mm-hmm. showed a scene of Jerry Ryan wearing her outfit from Unimatrix Zero. And I was like, oh, I was expecting her to go back to Unimatrix Zero or like do a holodeck Unimatrix Zero or like something for her own comfort. I was like, mm. when is that going to happen? Like, yeah. When is she going to let her hair down at all? That didn't happen. She goes into the holodeck in her Unimatrix Zero costume and fucks Flotter. Take off your clothes. Ow! Yeah, Flotter really knows how to flood a basement. (laughs) (laughs) But totally separate from that deception. I I deceived myself with the table of contents screen. A really strong episode. Really great Jerry Ryan episode. Really great Seven episode. Low-key... Apex Kate Mulgrew episode. Like, this is the sort of episode you can make with a Kate Mulgrew on your cast. Like, not needing to make her the A story, but having her come in and, like, really support the A story the way that she does. Really great work there. So, yeah, I love the interplay between these two characters quite a bit. So, big fan. What about you? I also really like this episode. I think just special effects were great. The... Directing was great. The acting was great. Slight quibbles in the way some of the makeup was executed, but overall just like felt like Star Trek really firing on all cylinders and really like hitting the emotional and like speculative notes that it tries to hit, you know, with full force. And I really appreciated it. Um, I thought it was a great episode. You remember how weird season seven of next generation got do you think we're gonna get really weird episodes here i feel like there's there's something really different about 
Voyager in that season seven is a, is about like wrapping the story up in a way that like there wasn't like a yeah there wasn't a thing to wrap up per se in in TNG yeah I mean as much as Star Trek Picard tried to make the case that there was stuff that needed to be wrapped up in TNG yeah I mean there there is a serialized story with a goal to it that we're all heading toward yeah yeah I think so so uh, I think it might. You're saying not to expect a masks episode? <laughs> God willing, there'll be a masks episode. All right, looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward to what's in our priority one inbox, Adam. Wanna head in there with your boy? Oh yeah. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, our first P1 is from Tarek, and it's to Cassie. It goes like this. I'm sorry I hid my Star Trek, D&D, and other nerd habits from you before we got married. But now we are watching Voyager together. Maybe someday you'll even waste time with this podcast. Thank you for being such a wonderful partner. You are the love of my life. Risky business, Tarek, uh, <laughs> hiding something essential about yourself yeah. until after the wedding. <laughs> it usually doesn't work out very well. I don't think that my wife really knew how deep I went with Star Trek before we got married either, so I, I can't uh, judge Tarek too hard. That'd be casting stones when I live in a glass house. Real talk. Do you think she would have gone for this had she known? I think I'm pretty charming. <laughs> oh, man. That is very confident. <laughs> ben, our second priority one message is from Drunk Shimoda. Okay. <laughs> Just to cat my beautiful, amazing first spawn. Happy 19th. That message goes like this. Cat, you're awesome, and I thank you for being my child. You're the coolest. I love our shared love of Trek, and I love the human adult you're becoming. You think the pod is cool as the famous goose during the tunes? But what my theory presupposes is that maybe the goose is famous because the pod's so cool? Shout out to Fajita Jane and Apers. Roll Aaron Drop! Wow. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> you know, any uh, any reference to the goose just makes me happy. Makes me happy too. I got a I got a video text from the goose the other day. What? The goose sometimes will text me like it's like content. It like should be on social media, but he only <laughs> sends it sent it to me. That's great. Yeah, it was very funny. Drunk Shimoda clarifies, "Mum, if your cat." That weirdo at the London gig, if you're Ben or Adam, and uh, P.S. Trans rights or human rights? Fuck yeah, drunk Shimoda. I don't understand the mom of your cat, that weirdo at the London gig. Because drunk Shimoda is imagining that you you and I remember drunk Shimoda as that one weirdo at the London gig. Oh, yeah. No, I don't remember anyone from the London show. Yeah. I, I was... You were delirious. I was jet lagged out of my fucking brain. I remember drunk Shimoda. There you go. What a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, thanks to drunk Shimoda and Tarek for getting 
priority one messages. If you'd like to get a message on the show, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and book one today. We have some uh, some serious inventory openages, hmm. so uh, get on it. Yeah. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. I think I'm going to give it to Tom Paris, not really because he was like being particularly silly in this episode, but I think that uh, I always forget that he is like the first assistant to. Dr. Mark at all times until he is like the main person assisting in like extremely sensitive surgery scenes. Yeah. And I love that he just does it in his normal uniform. Like they don't put on the, the red, you know, sock with the koofy hat that Dr. Pulaski put on to operate on Picard's heart. Like there's no, they don't like get cleaned up for, for pulling a cortical note out of somebody's brains. Oh, that's fun. Why? <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why, but uh, Tom Paris got it for me this episode. It occurs to me that it's been a long time since we've uh, <laughs> since we've tried to help out our new viewers by saying what exactly this is. Uh, we do Drunk Shimoda every episode as kind of a way to honor a character who's maybe doing the weirdest or having the most fun or a, a moment of levity, or just something we wanted to point out and uh, and emphasize here. <laughs> yeah. That's what Drunk Shimoda's for. I think my Drunk yeah. Shimoda is going to be of the last of those varieties. I just think, like, on the page, Janeway doesn't have a whole lot to do. She's got that centerpiece scene with Seven where Seven thinks that she's been a disappointment and Janeway says no. That's a really nice moment. But I think that there's so much more going on between the both of them the entire episode that it really like rewards that kind of viewing where you're looking at Janeway in the background of some scenes to see what she's up to. Yeah. See what she's doing. Really strong work. So make mine Kate Mulgrew. Hell yeah. Well, Adam, it's time to head to gach.biz slash game where we keep the game of buttholes the will of the caretaker our runabout is currently on square 22 and our next episode is season seven episode three drive tom and balana's relationship could be the loser when tom enters a race (laughs) isn't it always a loser (laughs) yeah when has it ever won in in what context would that be a suspenseful situation (laughs) i I really love the thumbnail of this episode where Tom Paris is wearing that that white jacket with the the scorpion on the back. Mm, yeah. So fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. I should get one of those and wear it unironically. Yeah. I'm going to start listening to Kaczynski again. <laughs> <laughs> well, Adam, do you want to find out if I'm a real hero or a real human being? When I roll this bone? Yeah, I want to find out. Hell yeah! Okay. Just ahead, we have a space butthole, and uh, I think we could also hit a Naked Now episode if uh, if I roll a six. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. That's the one where we have to do it from the bathtub. Mm-hmm. Ooh. 
Stop just short of that nude now, Adam. Thank God. Only five. Tula! Did I win? Hardly. Placing us uh, on the doorstep of, but but not on. So uh, I guess uh, you have an opportunity next time to roll your customary one and uh, put us in harm's way. But for now, regular episode next week. Dry episode. The best <laughs> kind? Hmm. I guess. I don't like the way I said that. I think you understand, though. Yeah. None of it's good. (laughs) With all that said, tons of thank yous to get out of the way here at the end of the episode. Thank you to the people without whom this would not be possible. We're talking Friends of DeSoto who rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. We're talking Friends of DeSoto who support at MaximumFun.org slash join. We're talking Windy Pretty who produces and edits the show. We're talking... Card Daddy Bill Tilly, who does all the social media. We're talking Dark Materia, without whom there wouldn't be a bed of music under my voice right now. He's doing it. <laughs> We're talking Adam Ragusia, without whom we would not have a Janeway song and wouldn't have a great buddy over there on the YouTubes cooking up delicious food for all you freaks. Wendy, are you hearing this? You're not going to have to edit anything. He's making the whole run. Credit speed run, Benjamin R. Harrison. And with that, we will be back at you next time with another great episode, Star Trek Voyager, an episode of the greatest generation Voyager that's here in Wedding Bells. Woo! First time that's ever happened, Ben. (laughs) God. Felt good. I'm just glad I was here for that. So fucking stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.